Wow, what a story. Well, good morning. This week we are finishing our two-week series on rest in Christ as we move into a new year, a new decade. Can you believe it? Last week we spent time at the end of Mark chapter 4, Christ in the Storm. And for soul-deep rest to occur, we must let the, the reality of Christ settle in to our souls. So the question was asked after Jesus calmed the overwhelming storm, who is this then that the wind and the waves obey him? And we can carry that reality with us into moments of silence, solitude, into quiet time, into community. And, and, that, and the boat was a place for Jesus. It was a place of, of rest, we learned last week. And we talked about the value of cutting out time, just 10 minutes. Sometimes we only have 10 minutes. And really thinking on these different biblical images that are presented to us. Walter Brueggemann has a great point. He says, hey, memorizing scripture is an incredible discipline. But also we must learn how to walk around biblical images, stories. And we must see them from different angles. And we can take those moments and memorize those moments. And we can carry those with us in our everyday thinking and life. A counselor friend said to me once, images slow us down. And they do that for our soul to rest. As we face 2020, um, my memorized moment from last week was Jesus standing between us and the storm. (laughs) Jesus stands between us and a new decade. He calms the wind and the waves of this year. And what we must do, and this was a point last week, we cannot weigh this coming year against our strength. We can't do it. But weigh it against the strength of Christ's presence. That alone brings rest to my soul. Mark writes his gospel slightly different than Matthew, Luke, and John. He really does an amazing job connecting these various stories with simple, concise wording. He helps the readers catch up to what's going on and makes real the Christ who is the Messiah. So the theme of Mark 1 to 5 really is revealing who Christ is, his authority, his power. I mean, the calming of the sea. And then today, the calming of the demoniac. But these are connected. These two stories are connected. And today, I just, I'll go ahead and tell you what my memorized moment is, is when that man that was terrorized by that demon, Mark describes him as in the presence of Christ, sitting, clothed, and in his right mind. That's the image that I've been holding and preparing for this. It's a powerful image. And just seeing how that crazy tormented man was was just being scattered and pulled apart from the inside. And how all of a sudden, with the words of Christ, he has this restful countenance. I don't know about you, but sometimes I look in the mirror. Or sometimes I take a healthy moment and I see myself and I don't see a restful countenance. And I'm, in, I, I'm embarrassed to even share this story. 
but uh, we play flag football periodically on the other uh, 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 on Sundays after church. If you're interested, talk to DL. But I had this moment on the football field playing with dads and and kids and you know boys and men, and I just had this moment when I saw my face, and it was <laughs> it was a moment where I received the kickoff, and it was a short kickoff, and all I saw was the end zone. I didn't see the bull. I didn't see the get, you know, so I just took off and just ran as hard as I could. And sure enough, somebody grabbed my flag. But I heard my son talking to some of his friends. And, and I think my son was basically saying, wow, your dad is really intense. <laughs> that moment I saw my face. I saw that, man, maybe I need to scale down. I mean, I was playing with 12 year olds. <laughs> And you know, but I, maybe I'm just a little competitive, maybe not as much as DL, but I am. I'm just a little, you know, but, but I just saw my, you know, my face. I saw my running hard countenance. So our story today picks up from last week. They arrived to the other side. And because last week, I, I don't know if you noticed this, verse 35 of chapter four says, on that day when evening came. I didn't recognize that, really. The Christ in the storm, that interaction happened in the evening. Can you imagine the darkness along with the storm? So when the disciples arrived to the shore, this was a small landing, a place perhaps with a path to a town called Gadara. And this area was less, less Jewish and more Greek. There was a wide range of uh, pagan idol worship on this side of the Sea of Galilee. It was a very dark place. And what lied between the disciples in this small town was this, this dark hillside with multiple caves used as tombs. So walking up, up upon those caves, and just imagine the, the moonlit is probably lighting it up. The wind might be whipping back up on the coast there. Friends, this was a scene out of a horror film. As soon as they arrived, as soon as they stepped out of the boat, a man screaming comes out of the darkness, heading straight for them. And maybe they couldn't see what was going on, but they could certainly hear what was happening. That this man with no clothes on running straight at them. What a disturbing scene. Verse 2 says, as soon as they got out of the boat, immediately a man with an unclean spirit approached. He lived among the tombs. Death was his mantra. No one could calm him. He was a raging demoniac. There was a storm unleashed inside of him. He had shackles on his hand. Obviously, they attempted to restrain him, but he had broken them. Verse 5 says he was screaming and constantly gnashing himself with stones. And listen to this is an important phrase. He was in a repetitive pattern of destruction constantly, night and day. This was happening. It was a cycle. It was a pattern. The enemy is always wanting to, to kill, to steal, and destroy. But Jesus walks upon that shore. That is important because he has come to give life to this man. He has, he's come to move this man from death to life. 
Verse 4 says, no one was strong enough to subdue him. The storm was too much for the seamen. Human limitation, and this is something we harped on last week. Human limitation does not have to lead to unrest. I can't do this. I can't do this. Human limitation can lead to an encounter with Christ. Look at verse 6. Seeing Jesus from a distance, he ran up and bowed before him. And shouting with a loud voice, he said, What business do we have with each other, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I implore you, by God, do not torment me. For he had been saying to him, Come out of the man, out of the man you unclean spirit. And he was asking him, What is your name? And he said to him, My name is Legion, for we are many. I want you to get this one thing. The demons were greatly disturbed by Jesus. They freaked out. Instantly, they knew who he was. They knew his, his power and his authority. And the scriptures say that they came and they just came into his presence and basically at his feet. The King James says that, that they bowed as if someone bowing in worship. I don't know if I would go that far. But quickly they went into bargaining mode. I mean, just, just imagine that. The, there's no organizing the army. Okay, guys, you come over here. Help me against Jesus. Nothing like that. They were disturbed greatly by Jesus. So they automatically went to this idea of torment, which they knew would come. The book of Revelation talks about that. And Jesus stands there. He does not have a weapon with him. He does not have an army. He does not have a dagger. He does not have pepper spray. Jesus was just himself on a dark hillside. And that was enough. And that, my friends, is key to understanding our sense of rest. Knowing who he truly is determines the level of soul deep rest. And if we really think about this, man, my mind is blown by seeing how the demons freaked out over Jesus. The problem is I don't allow my soul, I don't allow my mind to be blown because I'm, I'm in a hurry and I've got things to do. We need to pr- <laughs> practice letting our mind be blown by who Jesus truly is. Jesus, Son of the Most High God, they refer to him correctly. There's no one higher, there's no one more powerful. He has full authority, fully divine, fully human, Most High God. And then Jesus asked their name. And that was a declaration of authority. He wasn't just curious or confused. (laughs) That was a declaration of his authority. My name is Legion. We are many. And the many would pull this man apart and scatter him. A legion is an army of, get this, 6,000 troops with 120 horsemen and other personnel. And it's so ironic because in that day, in that town, there was a lot of talk about the Roman, the 10th Roman legion. It's a huge mass number of Roman soldiers that were headquartered in that area. 
The irony is they had a mascot. So on their shields, guess what they had? They had a picture of a wild pig, a boar that was very aggressive. So Jesus, my point is Jesus isn't facing off with a demon, but with an army of demons. There's no organizing them to fight. There's only submission. They were disturbed by who Jesus is. Verse 10. And he, Legion, began to implore him earnestly not to send them out of the country. Verse 11. Now there was a large herd of swine feeding nearby on the mountain. The demons implored him saying, send us into the swine so that we may enter them. Jesus gave them permission. And coming out, the unclean spirits entered the swine, and the herd rushed down the steep bank into the sea, about 2,000 of them, and they were drowned in the sea. Now, the swine were used for sacrificing to other gods in that area. So there, this makes sense that there are a ton in that area in the, in the, um, uh, on the hillside. But I want you to notice something. The swine didn't, they didn't tippy-toe into the water. They didn't just, woo. You know, you can see the chaos right there. You can see how, how the pigs rush down into their destruction. And then after the commotion was over, it was like the storm was still all over again. The water became calm and the man's face became rested. And I have a picture of that hillside where they believe that actually happened. And I just love that the inner life of the demoniac matched the calm landscape that Jesus brought about. Who is this man that the wind and the waves obey him? (sighs) Exhale. (laughs) The mindset on the spirit is life and peace. But there's a reaction. Verse 14. Their herdsmen ran away and reported it in the city and in the country. And the people came to see what it was that happened. And they came to Jesus and observed the man who had been demon possessed, sitting down, clothed, and in his right mind. The very man who had the legion, and they became frightened. Those who had seen it described to them how it happened to the demon-possessed man and all about the swine. And they began to implore Jesus to leave the region. They had a misunderstanding. They lacked knowledge of who Jesus truly is. And just a quick couple of comments on sitting down, clothed in a sound mind. Sitting down, the body, I mean, obviously he was tired, but an apprentice of Jesus would practice sitting at his feet quietly to listen. And the reason he would listen is so that he could be a teacher and go and teach as a disciple. To be clothed is really to be, to be embraced and cared for. The idea there is to be adopted. If you want to know more about that, Jim's sermon two weeks ago, listen to that, where he says, oh, we need to recognize the wonder of adoption. And he had a sound mind. And really what that means is a right mind or a, no longer a scattered mind. Right thinking 
He's not staggered by insufficiency, but he's self-controlled. He has a countenance of peace. Verse 18. As he was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed was imploring him that he might accompany him. And he did not let him, but he said to him, Go home to your people and report to him what great things the Lord has done for you and how he had mercy on you. And he went away and began to proclaim in the Decapolis what great things Jesus had done for him. And everyone was amazed. It's interesting. Everyone was amazed. There's a root there with fear. Everyone had a fear of God. Whereas the herdsmen had more of a fear, get out of here, we don't want you. And there's a difference in that. There's, a, um, there's, a, there's an awe and a respect over here. There's a sense of control and get me out of here over here. And when I think of this right here, I, you know, and I got permission to, to, to share this about my son when he was three or four years old. He had such love and respect for garbage trucks loved them so every tuesday when he when they would come around and he was like three or four garbage truck garbage truck garbage truck and then he would go to the window and then after a period of time he'd go outside and i just remember and i'm not making this up i remember one time going outside with him and i was a safe distance he was kind of close to the curb but not too close because that garbage truck pulls up and it grabs a trash can you know and he was just sitting there watching it And I turned and looked the other way, and then I turned and looked back to him, and he was standing there just like this. (laughs) I kid you not. I have no idea where he got that. He was saluting, and the guy in the garbage truck pulled away, and the guy was like, yeah! You know, but hey, that's that's a big piece of machinery. It's scary. I mean, just think of what it does. It's just, hey... But when we think of fear as something else is going on here, we talked about that last week, something else. There's fear in a whole new sense. And it's really Jesus Christ walking up on the shoreline, talking, being with. It makes complete sense why the demoniac wanted to step into the boat. No conversations. He just wanted to step in the boat and go along with him. That was natural. But he sent him home. And it's interesting because he went home and went back to that place. And there is record of that town really growing. There's several churches that came out of that. There was actually a bishop that came out of Gadara, that same town. And that bishop in, in the 300, 325 went to a very important council, the Council of Nicaea. And he was from that town, most likely linked to the demoniac who was transformed. Isn't that interesting? So one can never overestimate the power of God to transform one life and make it significant for future generations. Todd will probably talk about that next week. So just a couple practical thoughts as we wrap up. 2020 has hit us and maybe it has hit you hard. I would just imagine if we went around and shared stories that, that something has already happened this year that has been overwhelming or crazy. It's like, bam, it's like right when we get up on the shore of 2020, it's like, boom, there's something there. 
And my hope is that we would create intentional space to see that Jesus stands between us in 2020. That we can rest and orient ourselves to Christ. And one practical way of doing that, and I think I have a slide for this, is practice seeing Jesus for who he really is. Son of the Most High God. And we've already talked about that. But the presence of Christ was extremely disturbing for the army of demons. There's great calm (laughs) that that brings for me. The reality of who Jesus is affects the depth of rest we experience. So we must practice seeing Jesus for who he is. And that's where those memorized moments come back for me. I just like taking those moments in scripture and just holding them and and seeing Christ in them. And that to me is a stage set for the Holy Spirit to speak. The Holy Spirit who is alive and well to speak through me with those memorized moments. Yes, memorize scripture. Yes. But also memorizing these moments and these scenes that are extremely impactful. I have another uh, slide I just wanted to share really quick and, and have a point in sharing these. Um, in 1970, a road was built, uh, was attempted to be built on the coastline in this same area. And um, it turns out they discovered some various ruins. And I know you can't see them well, but, but I do have a point in saying this. There was a 5th century church discovered, and that's the lower part of the picture. And then a 3rd century chapel that was discovered on the hillside. And we can thank Queen Helena for that, who was the mother of the Christian Emperor Constantine in 300-ish A.D. And she had a passion to go all over the Holy Land and to find these historical sites and to build chapels to make them a a holy site, which is so cool to me. Um, But they discovered these, and it's just interesting to think, why are there pilgrimages Why are there relics? Why are there holy sites? And it's for people to remember. It's people to say, wow, this is real. This story really happened. And this is real for us today. But I do want to say, and I think I said this last time, you don't have to go to Israel to make this real in your life. But you do need to provide your your soul space. To make these things real in your life. And it's tricky. It's not earning something. It's not, oh, God's going to love me more if I provide space to rest and carry these memorized moments and be with him. No, that's not what I'm saying. But I am saying we live in a distracted culture to where we have to be intentional to create space to experience what we already have in Christ. And that is soul deep rest. We already have it. Uh, The second takeaway, quickly, is allow the disturbing presence of Christ to break unhealthy thought patterns. Allow the disturbing presence of Christ to break unhealthy thought patterns. Now, I, I, uh, I have to say this, that I feel like the first step of discipleship is naming what possesses you. And I'm not talking about demon possession, but, but I am saying that we have to understand what takes over in our soul. I mean, think about it. The rich young ruler had to have a moment there with Christ. The Pharisees, the fishermen, the tax collectors, you have to name what possesses you so that you can leave it. 
so that you can walk away from it. And when we expose those thoughts, we can then be, put them before Christ. And for me, gosh, I, I have so many patterns in my mind <laughs> that constantly go around and around day and night. And to be able to, put, to name them is powerful because now I can put them in the presence of Christ. It's the same sort of thing when we hear uh, Paul say, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So two examples of that for me is grandiosity and shame. And those are really two of the same thing, two sides of the same coin. Grandiosity can take up a lot of space in your mind. You can be occupied with yourself. Uh, This is why naming is so important. I remember my first week at Westover Church, I had a trusted mentor come up to me and he whispered in my ear, John, make sure you don't become incredible. I don't think I fully understood what he was saying. I think I was like, thanks a lot. See you later. But I think what he was saying is our mind can get pulled into grandiosity. Beware. Both in Mark 9 and 10, there's a discussion with the disciples about who is going to be the greatest. It's an important point when it comes to understanding where our mind goes. The other is really self, uh, self uh, criticism and self hatred. I have such a pattern of that. And for me to be in a right mind, I've got to be able to name that and move away from that. I love uh, Andrew Peterson's uh, song, Rest Easy. And he, his lyrics are really good. He just says, you are not alone. I will always be with you even to the end. You don't have to work so hard, you can rest easy. John, you don't have to run so hard (laughs) into the end zone. You don't have to prove yourself, you're already mine. And then the lyrics go on. You don't have to hide your heart, I already love you. I hold it in mine so you can rest easy. Do not be afraid, nothing in the world can come between us. Love those lyrics by Andrew Peterson. So practicing Jesus for who he really is, the son of the most high God, allow the disturbing presence of Christ to break unhealthy thought patterns, especially grandiosity and self-hatred. And then finally, just, just simply report all that God has done and start at home. Start at home. Emily, uh, one thing she shared to me recently, uh, she said, John, when you carry a calm, restful presence into the home, it affects everybody. We love it. (laughs) It matters what is on my face and what comes out of me. And that really motivates me. When she said that, that really motivates me to, to practice Sabbath, to be a changed person. To not just tell my kids how to live, but to tell them who is alive. To make my iPhone really boring. To take apps off as much as I can. To carry these memorized moments. And to let it just kind of flow out of me. It's possible. One of my biggest struggles, and I'll finish with this story, has been self-hatred over the years. And when I say hatred, that might be harsh, but I identify with the demoniac sometimes. Just beating myself up really hard. 
And I remember this was two years ago. I had a mentor invite me up to Roan Mountain. And he's just, let's have a two-day retreat and spend time together. And I remember driving my car up there. And something had happened that week. And in my thoughts, I was just struggling with, God, John, why did you do that? That was just, that was dumb. And as soon as I'm pulling up to this beautiful retreat, I don't see the beauty. I don't see the hillsides. But I just kind of am just digging at myself. And I parked that car. And it's like I kind of, in my mind, I just saw this this self-criticism this self-hatred, this path of like, I'm going to think this, I'm going to feel crappy about myself. And I can just see where this is going because I'd gone down that path so many times. And I can't explain it to you. And I hope you don't receive this as being weird. But I just sense kind of the Lord just sort of stepping into that path. He disturbed me in my walking my path of self-hatred. He, he stepped in and stood between where I was headed. And it's as if he said, no, we're done. Yeah. And I kid you not, I walked into that retreat with my friend and I had such rest and I hadn't even been there for five minutes. (laughs) And I told him the story and he just put his hand on me and just prayed and thank God for that. And I I can talk more about this if if you want to talk but for two years, I, I have had so much freedom over self-criticism, self-hatred. So much freedom. Jesus steps between us and the new year. He steps between us and the craziness and the grandiosity and the self-hatred and the self-harm. He steps between us and we can rest. So may we be a church that is sitting clothed and with a sound mind. May we see Jesus for who he really is, son of the most high God. May Christ disrupt our unhealthy patterns of thinking of grandiosity or self-hatred. May Christ step up to the side of the boat and stand between us and the storm and quiet the wind and the waves. And may we simply return home to report what God has done and take this hope to the city around us. May it be so. Amen.